Chapter Twenty Five of the Pathfinder. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Pathfinder by James Fenimore Cooper. Chapter Twenty Five. There was a roaring in the wind all night. The rain came heavily and fell in floods, but now the sun is rising calm and bright. The birds are singing in the distant woods. Attributed to Wordsworth As the light returned, Pathfinder and Cap ascended again to the roof, with a view to reconnoitre the state of things once more on the island. This part of the blockhouse had a low battlement around it, which afforded a considerable protection to those who stood in its centre the intention having been to enable marksmen to lie behind it and to fire over its top. By making proper use, therefore, of these slight defences, slight as to height, though abundantly ample as far as they went, the two lookouts commanded a pretty good view of the island, its covers excepted, and of most of the channels that led to the spot. The gale was still blowing very fresh at south, and there were places in the river where its surface looked green and angry, though the wind had hardly sweep enough to raise the water into foam. The shape of the little island was nearly oval, and its greater length was from east to west. By keeping in the channels that washed it, in consequence of their several courses and of the direction of the gale, it would have been possible for a vessel to range past the island on either of its principal sides, and always to keep the wind very nearly abeam. These were the facts first noticed by Cap and explained to his companion, for the hopes of both now rested on the chances of relief sent from Oswego. At this instant, while they stood gazing anxiously about them, Cap cried out, in his lusty, hearty manner, "'Sail ho!' Pathfinder turned quickly in the direction of his companion's face, and there, sure enough, was just visible the object of the old sailor's exclamation. The elevation enabled the two to overlook the low land of several of the adjacent islands, and the canvas of a vessel was seen through the bushes that fringed the shore of one that lay to the southward and westward. The stranger was under what seamen call low sail, but so great was the power of the wind that her white outlines were seen flying past the openings of the verdure with the velocity of a fast-travelling horse, resembling a cloud driving in the heavens. "'That cannot be Jasper,' said Pathfinder, in disappointment, for he did not recognize the cutter of his friend in the swift-passing object. "'No, no, the lad is behind the hour, and that is some craft which the Frenchers have sent to aid their friends, the accursed Mingos.' "'This time you are out of your reckoning, friend Pathfinder, if you never were before,' returned Cap, in a manner that had lost none of its dogmatism by the critical circumstances in which they were placed." Fresh water or salt, that is the head of the scud's mainsail, for it is cut with a smaller gore than common, and then you can see that the gaff has been fished, quite neatly done, I admit, but fished. I can see none of this, I confess, answered Pathfinder, to whom even the terms of his companion were Greek. No, <laughs> well, I own that surprises me, for I thought your eyes could see anything. Now to me nothing is plainer than that gore and that fish, and I must say, my honest friend, that in your place I should apprehend that my sight was beginning to fail. 
If Jasper is truly coming, I shall apprehend but little. We can make good the block against the whole Mingo nation for the next eight or ten hours, and with Odus to cover the retreat, I shall despair of nothing. God send that the lad may not run alongside of the bank and fall into an ambushment, as befell the sergeant. Aye, there's the danger. There ought to have been signals concerted, and an anchorage ground buoyed out, and even a quarantine station or a lazaretto would have been useful, could we have made these minkos respect the laws. If the lad fetches up, as you say, anywhere in the neighbourhood of this island, we may look upon the cutter as lost. And after all, Master Pathfinder, ought we not to set down this same Jasper as a secret ally of the French, rather than as a friend of our own? I know the sergeant views the matter in that light, and I must say this whole affair looks like treason. We shall soon know, we shall soon know, Master Cap, for there indeed comes the cutter clear of the other island, and five minutes must settle the matter. It would be no more than fair, however, if we could give the boy some sign in the way of warning. It is not right that he should fall into the trap without a notice that it has been laid. Anxiety and suspense, notwithstanding, prevented either from attempting to make any signal. It was not easy, truly, to see how it could be done, for the scud came foaming through the channel, on the weather side of the island, at a rate that scarcely admitted of the necessary time nor was any one visible on her deck to make signs too. Even her helm seemed deserted, though her course was as steady as her progress was rapid. Cap stood in silent admiration of a spectacle so unusual, but as the scud drew nearer his practice eye detected the helm in play by means of tiller-ropes, though the person who steered was concealed. As the cutter had weatherboards of some little height, the mystery was explained, no doubt remaining that her people lay behind the ladder in order to be protected from the rifles of the enemy. As this fact showed that no force beyond that of the small crew could be on board, Pathfinder received his companion's explanation with an ominous shake of the head. "'This proves that the Sarpent has not reached Oswego,' said he, "'and that we are not to expect succour from the garrison. I hope Lundy has not taken it into his head to displace the lad,' for Jasper Western would be a host of himself in such a strait. We three, Master Cap, ought to make a manful warfare. You, as a seaman, to keep up the intercourse with the cutter, Jasper, as a laker who knows all that is necessary to be done on the water, and I, with gifts that are as good as any among the Mingos, let me be what I may in other particulars. I say we ought to make a manful fight in Mabel's behalf. "'That we ought, and that we will,' answered Cap heartily, for he began to have more confidence in the security of his scalp, now that he saw the sun again. "'I set down the arrival of the scud as one circumstance, and the chances of Odus's honesty as another. This Jasper is a young man of prudence, you find, for he keeps a good offing, and seems determined to know how matters stand on the island before he ventures to bring up. "'I have it! I have it!' exclaimed Pathfinder, with exultation. There lies the canoe of the Sarpent on the cutter's deck, and the chief has got on board, and no doubt has given a true account of our condition, for, unlike a Mingo, a Delaware is sartain to get a story right, or to hold his tongue. "'That canoe may not belong to the cutter,' said the captious seaman. "'O Deuce had one on board when he sailed.' 
"'Very true, friend Cap, but if you know your sails and masts by your gores and fishes, I know my canoes and my paths by frontier knowledge. If you can see new cloth in a sail, I can see new bark in a canoe. That is the boat of the Sarpent, and the noble fellow has struck off for the garrison as soon as he found the block besieged, has fallen in with the scud, and after telling his story has brought the cutter down here to see what can be done. The Lord grant that Jasper Western be still on board her. Yes, yes, it might not be amiss, for, traitor or loyal, the lad has a handy way with him in a gale, it must be owned. And in coming over waterfalls, said Pathfinder, nudging the ribs of his companion with an elbow, and laughing in his silent but hearty manner. We will give the boy his due, though he scalps us all with his own hand. The scud was now so near that Cap made no reply. The scene, just at that instant, was so peculiar that it merits a particular description, which may also aid the reader in forming a more accurate nature of the picture we wish to draw. The gale was still blowing violently. Many of the smaller trees bowed their tops, as if ready to descend to the earth, while the rushing of the wind through the branches of the groves resembled the roar of distant chariots. The air was filled with leaves, which, at that late season, were readily driven from their stems, and flew from island to island like flights of birds. With this exception, the spot seemed silent as the grave. That the savages still remained was to be inferred from the fact that their canoes, together with the boats of the 55th, lay in a group in the little cove that had been selected as a harbour. Otherwise not a sign of their presence was to be detected. Though taken entirely by surprise by the cutter, the sudden return of which was altogether unlooked for, so uniform and inbred were their habits of caution while on the war-path, that the instant an alarm was given every man had taken to his cover with the instinct and cunning of a fox seeking his hole. The same stillness reigned in the blockhouse, for though Pathfinder and Cap could command a view of the channel, they took the precaution necessary to lie concealed. The unusual absence of anything like animal life on board the scud, too, was still more remarkable. As the Indians witnessed her apparently undirected movements, a feeling of awe gained a footing among them, and some of the boldest of their party began to distrust the issue of an expedition that had commenced so prosperously. Even Arrowhead, accustomed as he was to intercourse with the whites on both sides of the lakes, fancied there was something ominous in the appearance of this unmanned vessel, and he would gladly at that moment have been landed again on the main. In the meantime, the progress of the cutter was steady and rapid. She held her way mid-channel, now inclining to the gusts, and now rising again, like the philosopher that bends to the calamities of life, to resume his erect attitude as they pass away, but always piling the water beneath her bows in foam. Although she was under so very short canvas, her velocity was great, and there could not have elapsed ten minutes between the time when her sails were first seen glancing past the trees and bushes in the distance, and the moment when she was abreast of the blockhouse. Cap and Pathfinder leaned forward, as the cutter came beneath their eyrie, eager to get a better view of her deck, when, to the delight of both, Jasper O'Douce sprang upon his feet and gave three hearty cheers. Regardless of all risk,
cap leaped upon the rampart of logs and returned the greeting, cheer for cheer. Happily, the policy of the enemy saved the latter, for they still lay quiet, not a rifle being discharged. On the other hand, Pathfinder kept in view the useful, utterly disregarding the mere dramatic part of warfare. The moment he beheld his friend Jasper, he called out to him with stentorian lungs, "'Stand by us, lad, and the day's our own. Give him a grist in yonder bushes, and you'll put him up like partridges.' Part of this reached Jasper's ears, but most was borne off to leeward on the wings of the wind. By the time this was said, the scud had driven past, and in the next moment she was hid from view by the grove in which the blockhouse was partially concealed. Two anxious minutes succeeded, but at the expiration of that brief space the sails were again gleaming through the trees, Jasper having wore, jibed, and hauled up under the lee of the island on the other tack. The wind was free enough, as has already been explained, to admit of this manoeuvre, and the cutter, catching the current under her lee bow, was breasted up to her course in a way that showed she would come out to windward of the island again without any difficulty. This whole evolution was made with the greatest facility, not a sheet being touched, the sails trimming themselves, the rudder alone controlling the admirable machine. The object appeared to be a reconnaissance. When, however, the scud had made the circuit of the entire island, and had again got her weatherly position in the channel by which she had first approached, her helm was put down and she tacked. The noise of the mainsail flapping when it filled, loose-reefed as it was, sounded like the report of a gun, and Cap trembled lest the seams should open. "'His Majesty gives good canvas, it must be owned,' muttered the old seaman. "'And it must be owned, too. That boy handles his boat as if he were thoroughly bred. Damn me, Master Pathfinder, if I believe, after all that has been reported in the matter, that this Mr. O'Deuce got his trade on this bit of fresh water.' "'He did. Yes, he did.' He never saw the ocean, and has come by his calling altogether up here on Ontario. I have often thought he has a natural gift in the way of schooners and sloops, and have respected him accordingly. As for treason and lying, and black-hearted vices, friend Cap, Jasper Western is as free as the most virtuous of the Delaware warriors, and if you crave to see a truly honest man, you must go among that tribe to discover him. "'There he comes round!' exclaimed the delighted Cap, the scud at this moment filling on her original tack. "'And now we shall see what the boy would be at. He cannot mean to keep running up and down these passages, like a girl footing it through a country dance.' The scud now kept so much way, that for a moment the two observers on the blockhouse feared Jasper meant to come too, and the savages, in their lairs, gleamed out upon her with the sort of exultation that the crouching tiger may be supposed to feel as he sees his unconscious victim approach his bed. But Jasper had no such intention. Familiar with the shore, and acquainted with the depth of water on every part of the island, he well knew that the scud might be run against the bank with impunity, and he ventured fearlessly so near that, as he passed through the little cove, he swept the two boats of the soldiers from their fastenings, and forced them out into the channel, towing them with a cutter. As all the canoes were fastened to the two Dunham boats, by this bold and successful attempt the savages were at once deprived of the means of quitting the island, unless by swimming, 
and they appeared to be instantly aware of the very important fact. Rising in a body, they filled the air with yells and poured in a harmless fire. While up in this unguarded manner, two rifles were discharged by their adversaries. One came from the summit of the block, and an Iroquois fell dead in his tracks, shot through the brain. The other came from the scud. The last was the piece of the Delaware, but, less true than that of his friend, it only maimed an enemy for life. The people of the scud shouted, and the savages sank again to a man, as if it might be, into the earth. "'That was the serpent's voice,' said Pathfinder, as soon as the second piece was discharged. "'I know the crack of his rifle as well as I do that of Kildeer. "'Tis a good barrel, though not certain death. "'Well, well, with Chingachgook and Jasper on the water, "'and you and I in the block, Fencap, "'it will be hard if we don't teach these Mingo scamps "'the rationality of a fight.' "'All this time the scud was in motion.' As soon as he had reached the end of the island, Jasper sent his prizes adrift, and they went down before the wind until they stranded on a point half a mile to leeward. He then wore, and came stemming the current again through the other passage. Those on the summit of the block could now perceive that something was in agitation on the deck of the scud, and, to their great delight, just as the cutter came abreast of the principal cove, on the spot where most of the enemy lay, the howitzer which composed her sole armament was unmasked, and a shower of case-shot was sent hissing into the bushes. A bevy of quail would not have risen quicker than this unexpected discharge of iron hail put up the Iroquois, when a second savage fell by a messenger sent from Kildeer, and another went limping away by a visit from the rifle of Chingachgook. New covers were immediately found, however, and each party seemed to prepare for the renewal of the strife in another form but the appearance of June, bearing a white flag, and accompanied by the French officer and Muir, stayed the hands of all, and was the forerunner of another parley. The negotiation that followed was held beneath the blockhouse, and so near it as to at once to put those who were uncovered completely at the mercy of Pathfinder's unerring aim. Jasper anchored directly abeam, and the howitzer too was kept trained upon the negotiators, so that the besieged and their friends, with the exception of the man who held the match, had no hesitation about exposing their persons. Chingachgook alone lay in ambush, more, however, from habit than distrust. "'You've triumphed, Pathfinder,' called out the quartermaster, "'and Captain Sanglier has come himself to offer terms. You'll not be denying a brave enemy honourable retreat, when he has fought you fairly.' and done all the credit he could to king and country. You are too loyal a subject yourself to visit loyalty and fidelity with a heavy judgment. I am authorized to offer, on the part of the enemy, an evacuation of the island, a mutual exchange of prisoners, and a restoration of scalps. In the absence of baggage and artillery, little more can be done. As the conversation was necessarily carried on in a high key, both on account of the wind and of the distance, all that was said was heard equally by those in the block and those in the cutter. "'What do you say to that, Jasper?' called out Pathfinder. "'You hear the proposal. Shall we let the vagabonds go? Or shall we mark them, as they mark their sheep in the settlements, that we may know them again?' "'What has befallen Mabel Dunham?' 
demanded the young man, with a frown on his handsome face, that was visible even to those on the block. "'If a hair of her head has been touched, it will go hard with the whole Iroquois tribe.' "'Nay, nay, she is safe below, nursing a dying parent, as becomes her sex. We owe no grudge on account of the sergeant's hurt, which comes of lawful warfare, and as for Mabel—' "'She is here.' exclaimed the girl herself, who had mounted to the roof the moment she found the direction things were taking. She is here, and in the name of our holy religion, and of that God whom we profess to worship in common, let there be no more bloodshed. Enough has been spilled already, and if these men will go away, Pathfinder, if they will depart peaceably, Jasper, oh, do not detain one of them. My poor father is approaching his end and it were better that he should draw his last breath in peace with the world. Go, go, Frenchmen and Indians! We are no longer your enemies, and will harm none of you. Tut, tut, Magnet! put in Cap. This sounds religious, perhaps, or like a book of poetry, but it does not sound like common sense. The enemy is just ready to strike. Jasper is anchored with his broadside to bear, and, no doubt, with springs on his cables. Pathfinder's eye and hand are as true as the needle, and we shall get prize-money, head-money, and honour in the bargain, if you will not interfere for the next half-hour. Well, said Pathfinder, I incline to Mabel's way of thinking. There has been enough blood shed to answer our purpose, and to sarve the king, and as for honour in that meaning, it will do better for young ensigns and recruits than for cool-headed, observant Christian men. There is honour in doing what's right, and unhonour in doing what's wrong, and I think it wrong to take the life even of a Mingo, without a useful end in view, I do, and right to hear reason at all times. So, Lieutenant Muir, let us know what your friends, the Frenchers and Indians, have to say for themselves. "'My friends,' said Muir, starting, "'you'll not be calling the King's enemies my friends, Pathfinder.' because the fortune of war has thrown me into their hands. Some of the greatest warriors, both of ancient and modern times, have been prisoners of war, and yon is Master Cap, who can testify whether we did not do all that men could devise to escape the calamity. Ay, ay, dryly answered Cap, escape is the proper word. We ran below and hid ourselves, and so discreetly that we might have remained in the hole to this hour, had it not been for the necessity of restowing the bread-lockers. You burrowed on that occasion, quartermaster, as handily as a fox, and how the devil you knew so well where to find the spot is a matter of wonder to me. A regular skulk on board ship does not trail aft more readily when the jib is to be stowed than you went into that same hole. And did you not follow? There are moments in a man's life when reason ascends to instinct— "'And men descend into holes,' interrupted Cap, laughing in his boisterous way, while Pathfinder chimed in, in his peculiar manner. Even Jasper, though still filled with concern for Mabel, was obliged to smile. "'They say the devil wouldn't make a sailor if he didn't look aloft, and now it seems he'll not make a soldier if he doesn't look below.' This burst of merriment, though it was anything but agreeable to Muir, contributed largely towards keeping the peace. Cap fancied he had said a thing much better than common, and that disposed him to yield his own opinion on the main point, 
so long as he got the good opinion of his companions on his novel claim to be a wit. After a short discussion, all the savages on the island were collected in a body, without arms, at the distance of a hundred yards from the block and under the gun of the scud, while Pathfinder descended to the door of the blockhouse and settled the terms on which the island was to be finally evacuated by the enemy. Considering all the circumstances, the conditions were not very discreditable to either party. The Indians were compelled to give up all their arms, even to their knives and tomahawks, as a measure of precaution, their force being still quadruple that of their foes. The French officer, Monsieur Sanglier, as he was usually styled, and chose to call himself, remonstrated against this act as one likely to reflect more discredit on his command than any other part of the affair. But Pathfinder, who had witnessed one or two Indian massacres, and knew how valueless pledges became when put in opposition to interest where a savage was concerned, was obdurate. The second stipulation was of nearly the same importance. It compelled Captain Sanglier to give up all his prisoners, who had been kept well guarded in the very hole or cave in which Cap and Muir had taken refuge. When these men were produced, four of them were found to be unhurt. They had fallen merely to save their lives, a common artifice in that species of warfare, and of the remainder two were so slightly injured as to not to be unfit for service. As they brought their muskets with them, this addition to his force immediately put Pathfinder at his ease, for, having collected all the arms of the enemy in the blockhouse, he directed these men to take possession of the building, stationing a regular sentinel at the door. The remainder of the soldiers were dead, the badly wounded having been instantly dispatched, in order to obtain the much-coveted scalps. As soon as Jasper was made acquainted with the terms, and the preliminaries had been so far observed as to render it safe for him to be absent, he got the scud under way, and, running down to the point where the boats had stranded, he took them in tow again, and, making a few stretches, brought them into the leeward passage. Here all the savages instantly embarked, when Jasper took the boats in tow a third time, and running off before the wind, he soon set them adrift full a mile to leeward of the island. The Indians were furnished with but a single oar in each boat to steer with, the young sailor well knowing that by keeping before the wind, they would land on the shores of Canada in the course of the morning. Captain Sanglier, Arrowhead, and June alone remained, when this disposition had been made of the rest of the party, the former having certain papers to draw up and sign with Lieutenant Muir, who in his eyes possessed the virtues which are attached to a commission, and the latter preferring, for reasons of his own, not to depart in company with his late friends, the Iroquois. Canoes were detained for the departure of these three, when the proper moment should arrive. In the meantime, or while the scud was running down with the boats in tow, Pathfinder and Cap, aided by proper assistance, busied themselves with preparing a breakfast, most of the party not having eaten for four and twenty hours. The brief space that passed in this manner before the scud came to again was little interrupted by discourse, though Pathfinder found leisure to pay a visit to the sergeant, to say a few friendly words to Mabel, and to give such directions as he thought might smooth the passage of the dying man. As for Mabel herself, he insisted on her taking some light refreshment, and, there no longer existing any motive for keeping it there, 
he had the guard removed from the block, in order that the daughter might have no impediment to her intentions to her father. These little arrangements completed, our hero returned to the fire, around which he found all the remainder of the party assembled, including Jasper. End of chapter.